Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, a semi-friendly discussion between two blokes on watches, cars, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Tommy and Sanjeev. Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, episode 55, interview with Nick of DC Vintage Watches. Nick, welcome to the podcast. We're so uh, we're so honored to have you. Hey guys, thanks a lot. I appreciate uh, being asked to to be on your podcast. Yeah, I, I feel like I've been following your account for a long time now, Nick. So it's it's great to finally talk to the the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the account, you know, and uh, actually connect. Uh, so it, it, I feel like this has been a long time in the making. Um, so we're really excited to have you on. Sure. No, I'm glad to be here. No, you, you then you've seen some big changes because it's. It's gone quite a way, and I, I mean, I've had at least the Instagram account for probably a decade at this point, and it's there's definitely been some changes. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I mean, we've we've had a couple, I think, vintage watch, um, you know, business uh, people on on the podcast before, um, and I think the first question we usually ask is like, how did you find a watches, and how did you find this this kind of business to begin with? Like, what's your evolution as far as being a collector and also being kind of in the industry? Sure. Um, yeah. So I, I've really collected collected watches since high school, and it was something that my dad got me into, and my my grandfather to a, a, a limited extent. But you know, it's it's so it's something I've been around for a really long time. Um, I got my, for instance, I got my love of Hoyer from my dad, who loves Tag Hoyer. Um, but like, really, like, and, and if you've seen the account, you know, a lot of what I do. Uh, is vintage Seiko, and that I, I found that on my own. But that's that's really the gateway drug that a lot of collectors. Yeah, um, those are. Yep. yep yeah, you can't go wrong with Seiko no, whatsoever. No. Yeah. So you know, so that that you know, I'm dating myself, but you know, I graduated from high school in the late '90s, um, and it's really just gone from there. And you know, I used to work for the for the federal government uh, for. You know, I had a career before this doing that. I, I've done watches only for really since I moved to Los Angeles in about 2018. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, when I left the government. And it was it was an easy, as, as we talked about before the episode, my wife is in, in the entertainment business. So it really was an easy calculus for me because, like, I, as much as I love working for the government, believe it or not, some of us do. We're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was, it does, you know, the, the perks can be good. The benefits are good, but the pay is not, quite frankly. Yeah. And, you know, when it was just me, it was one thing. But, you know, we have a couple kids and, you know, you, you have to provide for them and you want them to have a great future. So, you know, you have to make some hard choices. And so, it, my, you know, my wife makes more, quite frankly, than I did in the government. So we came out here uh, in 2018 and it really just, you know, at that point I had started the business in 2012. Um, and it was kind of like a side hustle. It was, it was actually my wife, who she was my girlfriend at the time. And she was like, you know, have you ever thought about, you clearly really obsessed over this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not wrong. If anything, it's only gotten much worse. Um, she's like, you, you you clearly obsess about this. Have you ever thought about doing it as a business? She's a keeper. Yeah. I, yeah, you know, exactly. And then some. And, uh, you know, and, and I hadn't because I was just like, oh, well, you know, I have this career with the government. And she was like, well, just, you know, just do it as a side hustle. And I was like, oh, not a bad idea. Yeah. So like, you know, I started on eBay and then eBay just charges a gratuitous amount for seller fees. Yeah. I mean, we're, like, I don't know what it is now, but then it was like seven or 8%. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and you take that with like, you know, because PayPal takes a cut, credit cards take a cut, usually 2%, something like that. And that that takes a lot out. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm I'm gonna start my own my own website. So I did that after maybe circa 2013, 2014, and just started from there. And I really started working on my like network as far as like other dealers and stuff like that. And these these are because I like I said, um, I had at that by that time I was a diplomat with Department of State, and you know I was traveling overseas a lot. So I had already been like. You know, when I would travel somewhere, I'm looking at the local network, like, or the local, like, vintage market, like, you know, what are yep. people where, where are they getting their stuff from? And I'm meeting dealers, I'm, I'm exchanging information. And I really just continue to build on that, particularly um, with dealers in Japan. Oh, uh, wow. Because it's like, it was a, it was a big thing. 
Um, and then, you know, I, I just kept that information and just started building it. And then, you know, for us, when we came out, uh, my family, when we came out to, to, um, to LA in 2018, I had a good customer introduce me to uh, Matt Farah, who has uh, this podcast called Smoking Tire. And if that's right, can, yes, yeah, if you can infer from that, it's it's automotive, but he really loves watches. So at that point, he was actually doing a show with Cameron Weiss of Weiss Watches, um, yep. Swiss Train, but he has a micro brand called Weiss Watches. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were co-hosting this podcast. And uh, called watch and watch and listen. I think, I think that's what it, it's been a while because they're 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 not doing it anymore. At least uh, Matt Fair is not. So at any rate, they had me on to talk about vintage Seiko, and I guess I didn't know how popular Matt was because I you know I've always been into automotive stuff. Yeah. And posted that episode, and overnight it was like someone had flipped a switch, uh, as far as like just interest in the website and our social media, and just it just went crazy, and it's just just been crazy sense and that was uh, five years ago now wow so that's uh where we are now pandemic like i said you know you had a lot of people working from home they had disposable income because no one's going on vacations no one's buying cars because we had that you know that microchip bottleneck um so no one was really spending money so they've been needing a lot of time in their hands so people got the new hobbies like collecting watches and buying stuff online which you know, those no were choice but to buy vintage watches. <laughs> those were good years for us, and, and it really hasn't changed since. So we've been very lucky in that, and, uh, you know, it, I'm very humbled by the success that we've had in the last few years. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah. Long-winded explanation, but, yeah, there we go. Oh, that's a great introduction. And uh, the interesting thing is you mentioned Japan, and, you know, we had the founder of the Toke Club, which is a uh, Japan-based uh, vintage source, uh, vintage watch, you know, sourcer. Uh, and he was talking about how insular the the dealer network in Japan is. Basically, like you kind of have to be invited in and it's, it's like a handshake kind of secret society sort of thing. Uh, did you kind of feel the same way? Like it, it was kind of difficult to make those initial contacts or did you have an, an, an inside man to kind of grease the wheels or how, how did that work out? How do you start there? A lot of times it's going to be the latter. I mean, it's someone that's having someone that's going to vouch for you and like and I know this at least from from my former career as a diplomat. Uh, you know, Asian society can be insular, um, understandable, understandably. I mean, that's really any society, any culture is that sure. if someone, if you come in as an as a as an outsider, people aren't really necessarily they don't know what to think of you, and that that's pretty common. I, mean, I know from my time living in the Middle East that it was like that too. I mean, people can be very friendly, but for you to establish that level of trust there has to be a track record. Um, and if you have someone that vouches for you, that can mean the world uh, there. And and that's, that's what I had. That's what I had there. And, and it helped immensely. And then from then it just really grew on and on. That's awesome. And, and you have an interest in Seiko. I mean, do you want to talk about kind of like what the initial models were or like what kind of, what kind of line really pulled you in and kind of where your collecting personal collecting is as far as Seiko is concerned? I mean, you'll see when it comes to Seiko, actually, most of the stuff we sell, a lot of it reflects my own personal love. Yeah. Uh, and some of that is biased because these are watches that I know the the best. Yeah. Uh, I've done a, you know, just a, an immense ton of research on these things, not only because it fascinates me, but also you need to tell those those tells of what's, you know, aftermarket or Faco, as I like to call it, in legit yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's very much a learning process but for me from day one from high school it was the seiko 6139 and yeah. i've been i've been in love with that reference since um you know and it, it just has never stopped and you see that focus very heavily in our offerings in the shop the 6138 which was the successor to the 6139 i don't know why they chose a the numbers system that they did on, on reverse yeah it is what it is um so you, you'll see a lot of a lot of that in there um but, you know, and then you also see, uh, for me, because uh, one of the degrees that I have is uh, is in military history. And this is just uh, one of the things I've always been interested in since high school as well. Yeah. So a lot of stuff that is either military issued or it's something that was that was used by military service members. And it's not just United States military. It could be Japanese. It could be a country in Latin America, et cetera. We actually sold... To sew the other day that had been issued to the Pakistani Air Force. Oh wow! 
So, you know, oh, yeah. like that. a lot of these watches, people don't want new old stock. They want something that looks like it's lived a life and yeah. has stored. And it's rare yeah, it's yeah. rare to find military watches that haven't had a little bit of, of wear on them, but that's that's understandable, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's an attraction to finding, you know, watches with the backstory, um, yep. especially from like a military aspect. Um, there's always something unique about that and how the either the watch was sourced or what competition had to go through and yep. maybe what missions it was pulled under. So there's always something fascinating about something like that. But Nick, did you ever, um, I, I may have heard, misheard it, but did you have a 6139 when you were in high school or... Yeah, no, I started, I believe my first one was the, what's commonly known as the Sivera. Um, okay. And it, it's actually interesting, uh, someone pointed out this, pointed this out to me like six months ago, there was actually uh, a very, I don't know how this person flew under the radar for me, but he was like a very well-known racer in Japan that wore the same watch. And he was kind of like, as far as his, his fame, he was kind of like the Japanese version of Sivera in Japan. Oh, wow. It's so there's it's they you it's inescapable that that watch that deep there it's not a deep blue but like a the black blue dial variant of the six one three nine has yep. these incredible strong ties to racing. Uh, it's it's interesting. I I sold one of the speed timer variants to Sung Kang from the uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise. He's uh, <laughs> on in that and like and he wanted it for that same. Obviously, he loves everything cars, so he wanted that same. You know that heritage, that history, as it were, and it's it was literally I sold him my own. My I had one of them. I sold it to him. Like we were just, you know, we were. He started talking to me one day, and I was like, you know, I have a great example that I in my own collection, uh, but it doesn't get enough for his time. I'll. Do you want to buy it? And he was like, sure. That's so, cool. literally bought it like that. But and then it, it actually I didn't come into the because now the during especially during the pandemic the gold dial the Pogue the Colonel Pogue. Yep which I'm sure all of your listeners are, are no stranger to. I have um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it was very, um, I didn't like it at first, actually. I thought it was, I thought it was like super garish because it's that bright gold, but yeah. I hadn't, hadn't worn one. And then when it started getting like hugely popular, I mean, we, we've been selling them throughout, but we really sold just a ton of them during the pandemic. And it, they really, I had, it, they grew on me. And I was like, okay, I, you know, I got to get one of these. These are amazing. And, you know, now I have, a, I, I like the unique ones. So like, I have two of them. I have one that is the the very hard to find, the 6139, the speed timer variant, the, the JDM only uh, one. And then I, I also have one on the back and it says literally from the 70s, someone scrawled in, uh, it says smoke dope. And then it has like the kind of, Initials on it, and I'm like, all right, well, I kind of got to keep this. That's that's a nice. So I look for that unique, yeah, portable marker, if you will, and it could be something as frivolous as smoked dope, or yeah. it could be. Recently, I someone reached out, and they had a 6139-6010, which is what's called like it has the Arabic um, numerals on it. It's referred to as like the iceberg military, if you will. It's like a gray dial. Oh, not. Uh, oh, that's, that's interesting. Okay. One three nine seventy ten. Apologies, it's like a gray dial, and the 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 uh, the woman was like, you know, I went to Japan in 1970 for a swimming competition, and I won, and they gave me this watch, and on the back in kanji Japanese, it literally says for the winner of this, you know, the date and everything like that, yeah. and she wanted to sell it because she was like, I gave it to my father, and he passed away like 20 years ago. And it's just been sitting in a drawer. So he, she, she, I bought it from her, and like I, I'm gonna sell my own because I had one. But it's that little bit unique of history, that unique you know, bit of history that I love you know, as a as a historian. So I'm gonna, that's gonna be mine now. So it's like sixty one three nines have a very large place in my personal collection and and in the offerings that we sell. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm looking through the through the website and. Yeah, I can I can see that definitely. It's a big theme. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and the Sever is uh, based off the Formula One driver Francois Sever, right? The... Exactly. Exactly. Sorry. And, and, and if I throw off some like esoteric bit of minutia, call me on it because like I forget. You know, when I deal with this, I, I'd like to say it's eight hours a day, but in reality, it's far more. 
I, I get I get super like in it, and I forget that not everyone is dorking out all this esoteric stuff. So apologies. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, no, no. I was just kind of. Um, I had no idea that he actually wore that. Um, the six one three nine. That's actually fascinating. Yeah. No, and I did. And if you if you look on the website as well, um, I if you look under the drop down that says the stories. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot, a fair bit of research, and finding what I believe or what I assess to be the exact variant of that watch that he wore. And I've done the same thing for Bruce Lee. I've done the, and, and some other, some other people like that. Um, so this is, you know, this, this histor historic, like sleuthing, if you will, like, it's not even like work. Like I just enjoy it so highly. Yeah. 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 And the 6139, before we move on the 7010, that, that also has an air force connection, right? That, that, that used to be the Japanese air force watch. It did exactly. It did. Yep. And stuff. That's so. And then, how did the sixty-one thirty-eight? Was it just a natural progression into collecting and and buying and selling that line of Seiko chronographs? I just just come organically, or was this it, another? Came organically, really. I mean, it's it's literally like I'm already kind of doing this. Right. Maybe I get doing it full time, or or like having my own business instead of just like you know selling stuff randomly on ebay when i want to flip something to get something else and it just because i've always been a bit of a i've always had a little bit of business sense my my dad had his own business um and so i learned a lot from him but like even like back in like i i, I don't think i've actually told the story in a podcast but i was in elementary school my nickname was the candy man <laughs> which sounds bad but i would go <laughs> I don't know what it, what the Costco equivalent was back then. I don't know if it's Sam's Club or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I would buy candy in bulk and I would take it to elementary school and I would sell it for like five cents under what the vending machines charged. And yeah. I was making such a killing that the principal at the time was treating me like I was literally selling like drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Subject to random searches. I had like candy cash all over you know, hidden all over the school in case I, you know, my backpack got randomly searched. Your bail and, money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you needed protection. Uh, you know, you had to. <laughs> taking like $20 a day, which, you know, as an elementary school kid, that's, a lot that's of money. unbelievable, yeah. So, and then, you know, like I had like a, a lawn mowing business in high school and like I installed car audio systems in high school. Like, you know, so it's, there's always been, that aspect and then you know that sense kind of dulled a little bit when i worked for the government because it's not the same yeah and you know and it, when i started doing this you know as as a side hustle i i realized i really enjoy it you know and it's it's not just the nature of the selling but it's meeting like-minded individuals again you know like yourselves but also customers that share that same passion and you get to have these like super you know in the weeds conversations with people and like I, it's not always a one-way street. Like I'm learning new stuff every day. Yeah. Uh, customers. So it, it's, it's just been really enjoyable. Now on your Insta feed, uh, Nick, I, I noticed, I mean, your majority of the collection is focused on Seiko, but I noticed here and there, you also have like a citizen that pops up. Um, do, do you deal with a lot of citizen vintage watches or, or, or do you focus mainly on Seiko? It's it's Seiko will always be the case, but there is a fair bit of Citizen, and like I actually have, the watchmakers have a few of the Citizen, the Challenge Timer, the Bullheads, the the uh, Rep eight one one zeros. Yes, yes. It's not the Rep, that's the Movement. Sorry, but they have um, there's like three or four of those I think with with my watchmakers right now that they're that they're servicing, and so they'll go up soon. But no, I mean the thing Citizen is something that like really doesn't get a lot of love, which is really kind of odd to me um because there's a lot of really cool citizen out there but there's not a lot of research done on them yeah i agree i agree and i and i don't understand it because from a technical perspective in a lot of ways they can match seiko you know when it comes to chronographs and divers and i don't know why they just don't get the same kind of attention and love i i really don't know why and there's uh, there's really like i think there's a book to be written there about yeah. the between those two companies uh you know, I mentioned that because I'm painfully writing my own book um, at the time, but it's it's just, yeah, it, it's it's hard to find time to do it, but I'm slowly plotting through it. But I mean, it'll be on watches as well, you know, big surprise. But no, <laughs> Citizen, 
Citizen is is vastly undervalued, I think, uh, out there. And like, really, there's only like, and it, it shows how undervalued they are. Like, there's really only one. I'm looking up this account right now. There's like one account that I know that loves Citizen, and it's uh, his name is 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 Rob, and I I've, I've met him a few times, but his uh his account is on Instagram. It's like Power nine zero eight zero one. And I know from 90801, I think it's actually a zip code. Yep. <laughs> he always has a bunch of Citizen and a bunch of Seiko with like random Hoyers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I have a Citizen question, I reach out to him. Like wow. he's he's one of the, the the few accounts that I found on Instagram that really enjoys vintage Citizen. Yeah, so, those yeah. bullheads are very attractive. I remember before we even started the podcast, like many years ago, you know, we were always on eBay and we would go back and forth on, let's say, the Seiko bullet heads. Yep. And obviously we never jumped on it and we still regret to this day. But then like after the, you know, the, the prices of Seiko bullet heads went up, the Citizen bullet heads were at the time and still are, you know, if you just do some eBay searches, fairly attractive and they're equally well, you know, they, they still have that vintage vibe now, and, and it's still as good looking as even the 6138, in my opinion. Um, and, and they're very attractive watches. And that, yeah, like they just don't get the same love. Um, maybe the vintage ones are picking up in, in, in appreciation, but just in general. Yeah, no, and, and I, would, I would say with, with one massive exception, and that is the gold variant which was worn by Brad Pitt's character. Yes, in, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's right. Before that movie, I would have one sit on the website all day, every day, and it would take a few weeks, if not a few months, before it sold for like $400. Wow. <laughs> Serviced, mind you. Yeah. And literally, after the movie came out, it's it's come down, thankfully, but the high point was like 2000 Wow. <laughs> That's People were replating because they, they, they're gold-plated cases. And yeah. as with all gold-plated cases, just like PVD on a lot of military watches, it wears. So right. people are like replating the gold on the cases. Some Sometimes they do great jobs. Sometimes they do really sloppy jobs. Yeah. And then the fakers came in and the, and the people started like, you know, doing fako stuff on there. Like, yeah, and it was, it was really fascinating, uh, to, un, unfortunate in some cases, to see that massive spike in interest. And it's gone down, but they still hover for over a thousand easily, and and they don't last very long on the website, maybe a week, and they sell pretty quickly. So I guess my my question is of the Seiko sixty one thirty nines, right? Is there one that like moves really fast on the website? Like it, it, like there's a specific model? Like is it a Pogue that like people will immediately pick up, or is there some no. other esoteric model that just flies off the shelf if you get one? It's easily the Bruce Lee. The Bruce easily. Lee, yeah. yeah. And, and some of that is because, you know, we've been lucky enough to establish ourselves in my in my humble assessment, at least as as one of the main places to get a legitimate example on those because they're fake code too, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and some of that came from like we had a customer who was a writer for for GQ, and he bought one, and you know I just. I happened to be looking at his email and I was like, this guy writes for GQ. So I, you know, I, I sent him an email and I said, Hey, did you ever think about writing an article on, on this watch? And it's links to Bruce Lee. Yeah. And I said, Hey, you know, we've sold a few of them to some actor customers. I can broker introductions. You can interview them for the article. And he was like, let me pitch my editor. And this is in like, I'd say early 2021. I read that article. Yeah. (laughs) He did. And it just exploded after that. And it, for me, it wasn't necessarily about trying to like sell these. It was like, here's a guy that clearly is a genuine collector. He loves the watch. And if I can bring more attention to this, to the 6139, which I think I've probably established by now is my favorite, you know, reference of any watch made by anyone. Wow. Um, so be it. And, and that's exactly what happened. So, you know, we put one up now and it doesn't matter the variant. It could be just your regular rest of the world plain black dial or it could be the Seiko speed timer the Japanese domestic market only it lasts a day tops sometimes it lasts minutes and someone snaps it up wow okay so they sell very quickly 
I got to keep an eye open for one of those then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a John Player Special 6138, and I've got a, I've got a Pogue 6139. But uh, I still look at 6139s. I, I just think there's always a new reference that I'm always like, wow, you know, oh, yeah. really something nice to add. Recently, I've been buying up uh, – I had some, but I started – I'm because, you know, all collectors are like this. I'm trying to get every single catalog that – you know, Seiko came out with their catalogs for the dealers twice a year. These yeah. thick, covers. and I started them. I started them in 1969, and I'm collecting all the 70s to get like just you know going straight to the source, as it were. Yeah, uh, finding every single variant because a lot of this is on the internet, but that's not good enough for me. Like I want the physical hard copy when I'm doing research and stuff like that. And they even like Seiko came out with like something else that went to the dealers and it was like these like these it, i want to say newsletter but it was much more in depth than that it was like once a month it's like this booklet that was like 50 pages they would send to all the dealers and it was in it was in japanese yeah uh, so like i'm even getting those because they have like a lot of really cool like ads that i've never seen on the internet so i'm trying to like scan those in and post them on instagram to share that stuff yeah yeah oh man that'd be awesome is there is there a reference on the other side of the spectrum that has a cool story, has a cool background, but like people don't know about or like, you know, people really aren't aware of it or really interested in, in it yet? Is there something kind of undervalued in your opinion? I mean, until we talk about it here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I, there's, there's not a lot left for Seiko, at least. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's going to be, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, you get people and they talk about like when I've especially seen this with the moon swatch where people are like, I just want to get into watches. It's, you know, the MSRP is like under $400. And I'm like, do you understand you could have something from the seventies Seiko automatic legit, yeah, history for a few, for like even under $200. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. I don't, I <laughs> talking about like, you know, something that's maybe not visually that attractive or very small, like we could be talking about like um and we just I actually just sold one of these. Um it's a seven six two five is the reference uh for citizen or for I'm sorry for Seiko. And I'm looking up one right now because we just sold one today. It's the set it's the either the seven six two five or the six six one nine, and it's their sportsmatic line. And these things were like 38, 39 millimeters for the sixties. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. That's, a yeah. That's yeah. And it, it's a very like almost like very the dial was not complicated uh it's like a steel gray they come in like a silver almost like whitish color uh some of them are deep blue yeah and like but you know you can find it probably not serviced but you could find one for a few hundred bucks definitely cheaper than a moon swatch yeah and, and better served yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah not made out of plastic yeah uh, ceramic they don't call it plastic <laughs> Dude, I, I could do a whole episode on my critique of the moon swatch. So I won't... <laughs> we might need to do that, Nick. You know, I'm not gonna lie to you. We should do that. Episode 56. <laughs> it'll, be in the book. it'll be in the book, and I have no problem talking about it on a subsequent episode. Any idea when the book's coming out? By the way, no time soon, unfortunately. And yes. it's I've written about a third of it so okay. far. Okay, that's and progress. That's real progress. I've done all the research. Um, and it's just a matter of finding the time to write. Um, and, and, you know, I, it's, I just don't have the time. It's, it's bits and pieces. And it's, it's interesting, actually, speaking of, of writers, you know, I, I'm right. I'm actually, I'm also writing articles for uh, Watches of Espionage. I don't know if you've seen them. That's, yeah, we follow them. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I, I, a mutual friend introduced me to the, the guy that runs it. And, um, yeah. And, and, you know, so we, worked out each other's interests and like we have similar interests when it comes to watches and like uh i've written maybe three articles that haven't run yet because he is pretty he has like a about an eight week lag time oh wow between, yeah he's got a lot of people that write for him so you know so i've been doing some of that and, and he's not paying me i'm just doing it because i I enjoy it you know it's it's like none of them are very long they're like uh, like a thousand words actually sometimes two thousand but like nothing great or characters sorry um so not anything like crazy like three four pages um so like you know it, it's i've been doing a lot of that and i, I found that pretty enjoyable and outside seiko i mean what what kind of tickles your fancy nick are, are you an omega guy 
Hoyer. You said your dad was into Hoyer. Was there any specific Hoyer that he was really into? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> this is where my my Hoyer snobbish side comes out. Unfortunately, he's into he was into Quartz Hoyer from like the late nineties onwards, which oh okay, I, I, I'm not a fan of. But a yeah, lot of love there. Yeah, it is what it is. Like I, I I'm not a fan. I, I normally until recently, if it had tag on it, I wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, but in in for your listeners, tag was actually it's not anymore, but it was a Saudi company. Yep. Uh, that bought Hoyer in 1983 because like Hoyer is a fascinating history. Like Jack Hoyer did his own memoirs. You can find him on eBay for like 50 bucks. It's, it's fascinating read. There's a few other books. Cause I, I read a bunch of these when I was doing research for my own book. And it seems like Hoyer was always on the edge of bankruptcy throughout its entire history. Whole time. Yep. 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 It would sold the tag and it was, which is kind of crazy because they made amazing stuff. Yeah. Their heyday. And like, and they're bringing it, and it says a lot, because every company is guilty of bringing back reissues. But Hoyer, my God, it's like the only thing they they sell now is reissued. They're like reliving their glory days. Yep. Uh, we just talked about the skipper last week. Did you did you check out the new skipper? Yeah, I did. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, I actually like the Houdinki one better. I, uh, that's kind of what I said too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I actually like the current skipper. I think they did a great job. And, but nothing wrong with the Hidinki one. I think the Hidinki one is a bit more classy. I think you can yeah. kind of pull that off in a dressy way. I can see um, all that. I mean, it's it's for me, it's far more appealing than like the remake of the Monaco, which I just think is just I'm just not a fan of. But like, the, I'm always going to go, you know, OG with it. So I'm always going to love the original Skipper. Will I ever have one? Probably not. I don't. I don't know if. Uh, pretty sure my wife would murder me if I spent that much on a watch for my own personal collection. Yeah. So I mean I mean they I mean Eric Wynn has them every now and again. Who by the way is like an amazing guy. Like I've I I had a good friend of mine that Eric Wynn was her RA in the dorm when they went to Georgetown University. Mm-hmm. And she actually introduced me to Eric and then he did a pop-up out here in Los Angeles. And like he was introducing me to people. He's like, this is the guy you talk to when you want to find Bruce Lee watches. And I was like, I didn't even know you were following anything we did. That's amazing. Nice. Yeah, no, I remember, you know, him being on articles or or, or even on YouTube with Hodinki. And he was like this. I just know him for being like this uh, specialist of like uh, Omega Speedmasters. Like he knew the ins and outs. And I think even Rolex GMT Masters, I think. Oh, yes. No, like when, when, so we on occasion will source Rolex, but when we find, a, we have a customer that wants really difficult to find, I point to Eric Wynn. Like I have no problem. And he points people my way too. Like that's, it's just that dealer courtesy, you know, as it were. But and Eric actually, him and I actually had something, and I didn't know this, but when we were talking at the pop-up, he actually worked for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency for like oh. a hot second. And I, I, that was when I started my government career and they fall under the purview of the department of defense and they do the the imagery satellites um you know the spy satellites if you will so we both worked for that as as imagery analysts and i had actually at the same time and i had no idea that's a small world small world and like we were just like in awe of that you know i don't even know how it came up in the conversation but it was just so random but um i'm sorry back to your original question what was it again Oh, it was tag tag Hoyer. So yeah, no. Um, you you mentioned that your father was into quartz tag Hoyers when basically yeah, I think more or less kind of like the heyday, especially in racing, because tag as you mentioned, it was a Saudi company. It was like a like a some sort of uh, holding company or or, but they, they had a connection with McLaren back in their heyday, um, where they bought into yeah. the company and yep. formed a partnership and. You know, and the late great Ayrton Senna kind of took it, you know, into the modern era. You know, he had the the, the tag horror, and and that's how like the, the modern day Formula One is. Um, but you know, Ta- Hoyer was also into Formula One way back in the day. I think Jochen Rent, who was also Formula One world champion, was wearing their watches as well. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting take of how tag became, or Hoyer became tag horror as well. Um. And, no, and, and we're like we, you know, they don't last very long in the shop. But like, 
you know, again, like I said, the stuff that we offer in the shop closely reflects my own interests. So there'll be Seiko, but there'll also be Hoyer and Omega are probably the three biggest brands that we sell more than Citizen, definitely. And the Hoyers don't last long. They they sell pretty quickly, especially the automatics. Like we, we sell a fair number of um, the Altavia, the, the especially okay. the Vista 1163s. They sell pretty quickly. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So no, I mean, with but the reason that uh, uh, that I brought up Eric is that Eric had a, a the original vintage Skipper, and it didn't last long either. And it was, I think it was like five figures. Wow. Uh, he sold that. <laughs> I, I think I don't. I don't recall, but I I don't remember it lasting very long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, no. I mean, we source a for like really what you see in the shop is not everything that that we do because really some of our more higher end customers will come directly to us and ask us to find stuff. And right. I try to put those up on Instagram when I can, right. but they don't get up there. So a lot of it's going to be like your automatic uh, Hoyers. It's going to be like you know one of the one of the hardest well it wasn't necessarily difficult but it was definitely higher price point was uh, um the original you know the the hoyer monaco the ref 1133b that steve mcqueen wore yeah so it was got it okay and that, that went to an actor who shall remain nameless because a big part of this game if you will is discretion uh, and pretty much my policy is unless an actor talks about it publicly i don't mention it yeah, uh, right. Example of that would be Randall Park did a four plus one on Houdinki, and he talked about the Hoyer Silverstone, the ref one ten point three one three that 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 uh, I found for him, the kind of like a maroon square dial watch. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so I can talk about that now because he already it's already out there. You know, so there there's a fair number of Hoyers that 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 we find, um, but some of them are like. Uh, you know, back to the novel thing, like we're finding watches right now for Jack Carr, who was the um, the writer who wrote, uh, he, he actually averages like a novel a year. It's very impressive. And I know that from my own pain as attempting to write. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he wrote The Terminal List, which was on Amazon. Oh, wow. Okay. Part, um, uh, Chris Pratt, of course. It's a great series. Um, and uh, so we're sourcing a few watches for him. And that's that's going to be, he will, he tells amazing stories too. Like, They'll be like, yeah, this is the watch that I was issued when I was a Navy SEAL. Like, I'm trying to, it's been lost through the years. Can you find it for me? Wow. And like, and I'm like, not a problem. So, you know, it's like finding that kind of stuff. I, and, and some of them are, I, I, some of them are Seiko and some aren't. Like, uh, we, we, the thing I've noticed an uptick recently in popularity are the, um, the so-called Mac V SOG. Seiko. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and I sourced one of those for him. He's very happy with that. Um, and you know, and it, I've been doing a lot of research on those recently too, and and they're they're just a fascinating history. Yeah, uh, actually, Spencer Klein. I don't know if you know him on YouTube, but he's a he's a Seiko specialist. He he does a lot of repair work, and he he's the one that got me into the Mac V SOG. He he had a couple examples that he talked about the history and and you know. What was, what was the name again? Spencer Klein is his name. Hey, if you, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we we use his uh his six one three nine crystals in a lot of our when we service the watches, oh. a lot of times. Well, because his I found his crystals to be the the closest to the originals. Yeah, of anything out there. So, and in, in when it comes to watches, you know, obviously, no aftermarket fake parts. But a lot of people, it's been rare that I found someone that's like, no, it has to be the original crystal. Because a lot of people understand that's usually not a possibility. Yeah, because especially with Seiko. They weren't sapphire. They're hard black, so they're kind of like in between acrylic and sapphire, and they scratch. And it's in, and they're almost they're not as easy to polish with like, you know, your nice tube of poly watch as an acrylic yeah. crystal. A lot of people, you know, they don't have an issue with that. But I like to stay as original as possible, and that's why I go with Spencer Klein. You know, obviously, shout out to Spencer. He makes some amazing watch crystals. He's a great guy. Yeah, I I wanted to ask you what the what the um watchmaking aspect of it is like you source a watch right it, it's a it's a vintage watch do you do any work on it before you sell it is there is there does anyone open the case back and, and service it before sale or how, how do you kind of approach that so a lot of the times and we are a small company and i mean if you include the watchmakers we're maybe like six people and you know it's so a, a lot of times it starts with me like i'm the one you know i'm going to the post office I, i'm getting the watch 
and I will, and, and I know the, you probably saw, I think you commented actually on it, but the, um, you shared the story rather, the post that, that I did this afternoon on this Bruce Lee that came in yep. and oh my God, the amount of DNA on this thing. I haven't <laughs> seen that in a long time and the whole back was just caked with, oh. oh God, it was so nasty, but it's very common, just not usually this bad. So I have a hydrosonic cleaner. It took three runs of 30 minutes. Oh my God. Wow. And it was just like, you know, you take the movement out, you put the case and you're putting the case back and, you know, everything else that that is not the movement, obviously, in there and replace the crystal with a Klein crystal, et cetera. And it's like night and day. Yeah. But the, the movement ran very well. Surprise. I was surprised at this. It looked like it, it's almost like someone serviced it, but didn't bother to clean the case, which is just mind boggling to me. Yeah. Uh, so it, that's all it needed. Am I a watchmaker? I am not. And I'm, but I can do stuff like this, like especially with six one three nines. I've been working on those since college, or really the end of high school. Um, but like, I, I'm not going to do the more complex stuff, and I know that. I, I know my limitations. And you know, we have four watchmakers that work for us, and that's their fort. So the watch will come to me. You know, I, I'm I'm observing it. I'm timing it as the initial, you know, you know, quality check, if you will. And if everything looks good then I'm going to, you know, put it up for sale. If, if, if anything looks even slightly awry, it's going to the watchmakers for their, for their, you know, assessment. And we just go from there. If they say it needs a full service, guess what? It's getting that full service. So, you know, they're and, and as you can imagine, I keep them fairly slammed on a regular basis. And actually this is a nice segue uh, here, but there is, there's a, you know, we get a lot of people that reach out to us and they're like, hey, you know, do you service watches? And I say, well, we do, but only watches we sell because we just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. And, you know, there is a shop here in Southern California. It goes by the name of Time Zone Costa Mesa. And, you know, they have a, a, a website. Um, and I, I hope you don't mind this, this very shameless uh, plug, but I'm, I'm going to bring this up right now. But these guys are what I have, especially um, like I had an actor reach out to me who's a client. And he's like, I have this Rolex. And it was like a $40,000 Rolex. Wow. And, and they were like, and he knows when he reaches out to me for something like that. And he's been good to me. I'm, it's an outside watch, sure. But I'm going to introduce him to a watchmaker to get it done. And I did. I introduced him to the to the uh, the guys that I'm about to tell you right now. So their website is www.timezonecostamesa.com. Okay. And it's family-run business. They've been around forever. Um, you know, the the... The main guy that runs his name is Frank and his son, Kevin is, is his apprentice. And he's gradually, you know, a lot of watchmakers are getting up there in the years. Kevin is, you know, this young dude, he's like maybe in his, his late twenties, he's taking over the business. They do amazing work, but they take mail work. So, you know, I point everyone to them. I say, go, you know, I, I CC time zone. I'm like, Hey, these are the guys you need to talk to world over. They will take your watch. They'll service it and they'll, they'll send it back out. So you see a lot of that here. And I sent them this actor guy and they did an amazing job on it. And he was very happy with it. That's awesome. So, so, the That's awesome. Place. so you get, we have our own, but like if I've got a specialty job that needs to be done ASAP, Frank, you know, hooks me up because I push a lot of business this way. So he, he treats me well. And I love those guys. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I have, I have a Speedmaster Mark four that's in the shop right now and it's pushing six months, but allegedly there's some progress being made. So we'll see. <laughs> Oh, as long as it's not like the Gugina. Oh um, God! Yeah, I had another repair that was like a year and a half almost. So, <laughs> I, so we thought, you know, when when Tommy got the watch, that you know, I, I believe Tommy it was a Lemania fifty one hundred movement. Uh, yeah, it was a Lemania fifty one hundred, cased similar to the Hoyer Audi Sport, uh, like racing chronographs, but it was a it was a black case, different company, but you know, very similar layout. Um, so I got pretty excited about it, picked one up, but. Uh, Definitely needed a service. Really did not maintain a power reserve for very long. So, so uh, we would thought that with the Lemania fifty one hundred, you know, it'll be kind of easily sourced and forward, easy yeah. to find. But how wrong we were! Oh, very wrong. <laughs> and and is it coming to that with let's say the Seiko chronographs, like sourcing parts and 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 for like the six one three eight or and think or the one six one three nine is it getting more difficult as time goes by to find these parts yeah that's that's a really good question because we get a lot of people that reach out and they're like 
can you so much so that I had to put a caveat on the sourcing page on the website. We do not source parts because we get it so often. Like I pick up part slots nonstop. And my my watchmakers love me for this because then they don't have to. And it's my life is all about making their life easier right. because that their turnaround time is much faster uh, on a lot of things. And like, yes, in other words, parts are getting much harder to find. Like, there's no doubt about that. And, it, it, you know, and, you, and this is sometimes where you get like and you get this no matter what, like if, like I'm a I'm a massive hip hop fan. So you get a lot of like underground rappers and like when they hit the big time, people are like, oh, you know, they've sold out or stuff like that. So people don't necessarily like, you know, I when I bring all this attention to things like the 6139, the 6138, because then everyone wants it, prices go up and then people get pissed. But you know what? You know, that's life. I mean, like, yeah. I want people to have the same love and this like, why hide it? So, yeah. but that, you know, I indirectly or directly make it harder for me to do my own job, which is to find parts. And that's just, that's a reality, you know? And a lot of times... I will just source watches that are non-runners just for parts watches, you know, and it, it, it can be difficult because if the dial shot, that usually means the movement is probably shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and with these six, one, three, nines and a lot of vintage watches, if someone kept good care of it and they got it serviced regularly, they replaced the rubber seals, then it's usually in good condition. IE there's not a lot of mold inside it or rust or something like that. But if you go to, if you get in a watch, from a country that tends to have a more humid climate, Philippines, Latin America, things like that, you can find great watches there. But if they did not properly care for that watch, stay away because it's it's going to be a wreck. And the watchmakers will throw up their hands and they'll be like, I can't do anything with this. The movement's a wreck. And then you're just out of luck. Right. No, that's good to know. Yeah. Interesting perspective on the geographic location. And it makes sense on what... You know, one would never think, hey, you know what, this I got a great deal from like Cambodia, for example, and you get the watches like nothing's working um, because it's just the humidity. So it, it can be complete hit or miss with that. I mean, and that, that's where like these detailed pictures really come in handy. And, you know, you're looking at that. You're looking for any sort of like, for instance, on the um, on the 6105 Captain Willard, because that crown lock was such a terrible design. Yeah. It, this is not really Seiko's fault. Like this is one of their first crown locks. I think it might've been their first actually, because the 6105-8000, the one that came before it didn't have any crown lock. And they, the crown lock on the, on the Captain Willard is kind of like this little hook thing. It doesn't actually screw down. And if you don't do that hook, or even if it is done, sometimes you get moisture ingress and that will just mold up that loom. And that's why it's so hard to find a good example of that. Gotcha. Lock. And you, find that writ large in a lot of vintage watches now nick you kind of focus on you know mainly seiko and all of that um is there like a brand that you kind of say hey let me take a look at it and see if i a have a real interest in not only selling buying and selling but also getting to know its history whether it's a smaller brand or one of the bigger players yeah, no, recently it's actually, it's Chronosport, which is a very interesting past. And it's not, it's not a very large company. I don't know if they're around anymore. They actually may be, but I think it was bought by something like Fossil or something like that. So, you know, kind of the direction they're going then if they were bought by Fossil, unfortunately. Uh, again, my snobbish side is, is, is peaking. I apologize. <laughs> no. uh, but uh, Chronosport actually... And this, this brings me, actually, uh, I'm looking uh, for one of these for Jack Carr, and it's like the first season of Magnum P.I. Yeah, before he got a Rolex, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Yes, before he got that Pepsi GMT yep. Rolex, um, he had a Chronosport. And it's it's actually, I'm seeing a bit of, of uh, increase in, in popularity in that. It's always been like one of those slow burners, like every six months or a year, someone will reach out. And they're starting to creep up in price now, actually. But it's like, you know, it's this fantasy. It'll say like the, the I think the OG, because there's a few variants. The OG variant dial that Magnum were. We've done some posts on this. And there's, because there's a couple great screen grabs from the first season of Magnum PI, uh, which I just started binging again, because I I watched it as a kid. Yeah. Obsessed with it. So much so, like, my mom actually loved that show, because, you know, it's Tom Selleck. We had a cat that she named Thomas. After Tom Selleck, of course. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's there's some love there. <laughs> but it has 
fantastic like this pop of orange uh with with the minute hand and like these really throwback from the 70s era designs that uh, Seiko has in spades which is another reason why I love Seiko but Chronosport had that but the Chronosport UDTs or underwater demolition teams which obviously lends to a, a US Navy SEAL background those watches were actually issued to the Navy SEALs so wow. it's like this this black bat PVD watch you know it's this and it's it's what we call um it's kind of like an analog digital like you would see with your your yeah, Seiko honey. Arnie, yeah, the H55 to one, the upside down Arnie, where it has that digital display, but it also has your traditional analog, you know, your minute, your hour, and your Seiko, or your, I'm, I'm sorry, your seconds hands. And like, they're just really cool. Um, so we're getting the, we're, I'm seeing an increase in demand for those. And I think, especially the UDTs, I mean, they're not, they're not, you know, cheap. I mean, they're going to run like 1500 and up, but they're nowhere near as popular as even really i'd say the mac i'd say the mac b sogs are more popular but it's again it's non-seiko and there's it has the same style case that you know the early um hoyer quartz watches came in the monin the 980.0 yeah. um and the tag hoyers you know the the early tag hoyers what i would call neo vintage so you're saying like you know the mid 80s i've seen an increase in demand of those uh, as well as people, you know, it's a spectrum sliding to the right. As we get older, the watches get older. So what previously never would have been vintage is now neo vintage, if you will. Yeah, uh, that includes some early tag warrior divers, which they didn't really mess with the design. Then they kept a lot of a lot of it carried on. Thankfully, they didn't really start messing with that design until late '80s, early '90s, and then some of it, like they were like plastic and like they were trying to compete with Swatch, and it just I wasn't a fan. Just a mess. Yeah. What about let's say like say German brands like Zen, you know, they have yeah. a history. Um and, and other brands like that are from let's say other origins of nations like Yama, maybe, for example. Like are you scoping out whether other brands or you know, I know you just mentioned Chronosport, but um other other brands you're kinda of keeping an eye out? Yeah, Lajor as well. I mean Lajor is Yama, but yeah. uh the US yeah, and the Lajor has a long past backing, although it was a it was a Porsche design Orfina that Tom Cruise wore in the first Top Gun and the second one actually yep. that came out 30, 27 years later. Um he wore that same watch, which actually I believe belonged to was it Jerry Bruckheimer? Was he the director of the first or the executive? I don't know. Anyway. He's a they, producer, yeah. It was written. Yeah, he's a producer, yep. Tony Scott Tom borrowed it from him for the filming of the second one. I don't yeah. even think it was. And they still like you know, he's still rocking it, but Orfina or Lajor did and Hoyer did, and they, they were the movements varied slightly, but the case design is the same. Everything is the same except the dial, the name on the dial. So, you know, there's that long history. Lajor slash Yema, I love them also, very underrated, I think. Um, and then modern day Yema, I don't know if you saw on my um on the Instagram feed, because I do the social media. Um, they did this collaboration with um navy graph which is the french navy yeah uh, it's a gmt it's blue it's yellow it's that pop of color that i just find irresistible and it was a limited run initially they're going to make more of it um and i think they made it i think they made 300 of them and i'm looking at it right it's the uh, marine national gmt is that it yeah the marine national the name the marine national of course would be the french name for their military and it's like I posted it on uh, I posted it like four weeks ago and, you know, I did the pre-order and it wasn't crazy expensive. It was like a thousand dollars. I mean, it wasn't like and it's automatic movement. Again, it's that it's GMT, which I'm a sucker for. Yeah, um, it's, and the, the 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 bezel actually reminds me very much so of the 24 hour bezel on the Belova Accutron astronaut. Yes, 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 uh, yes, yes. Agreed. They had that it was a, there was a bunch of variants for that watch but one of them was black and white i actually have it the the 24 hour knee or the 24 hour uh bezel on it half is black half is white on in this instance it denotes day or night yeah when you um so yeah no so there was some throwback to that like it's just great well designed watch recently um i bought my first wmt watch which i think they're out of singapore yeah they do recreate uh, the vintage marks, right? Exactly. 
you know, honestly, like some people, you know, the 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 topic of homages are very polarizing. Yeah. I I personally love them. Look, if you're not trying to pass it as the real deal, go for it. I love it. I love to see the creativity. And in this instance, the WT I bought is a GMT again, but it's 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 basically an homage to the Rolex 1675 Pepsi GMT. Wow. And this instance, they they weathered it. You know, the the Pepsi 24 hour bezel um, is weathered. They they the all the loom has patina. It's all even. And but this this is a throwback to my time as an Arabist with the Department of State. Um, it's it has the crest of the UAE on it, and it oh. says Arabic on the dial. And I'm like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I gotta get this. And there, <laughs> you know, and it's it was like six hundred dollars, I think. And that's that's not bad. Like Good for one, yeah. I've been you know lot, screw down crown. Um, it actually came with another bezel that's just blue, and it's weathered as well. That you can they, this new thing, and I don't think I've seen any other company do this where you can pop out the bezels and pop in new ones. Um, I haven't tried that yet, but allegedly it's it's pretty easy to do. That's and cool. that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. WM team does a lot of those Oman um, logos as well, right? The 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 Oman state logo. They do, and that yeah. that it's that speaks to me. Like I mean, and I know I, I've I've worked with counterparts in UAE in the past, and and I found them to be very professional, and I and, you know I enjoyed my time doing that. So I was like, you know, this is a reminder, and and I really like this. Again, it's that history, it's that memento, that keepsake um, that that I I really love. Very cool. Thank you. Is there anything from looking, considering you're such a Seiko kind of um, almost historian, considering you know you know the history so well, especially in the chronograph side, is there anything you wish Seiko would release now? You know, uh, a modern reinterpretation. Uh, and like I, said, I, I know they did the new speed timer, solar speed timers, but I don't imagine you you were very thrilled with those. So. <laughs> um i would say i don't normally like the reissues i don't want them to reissue anything 6139 or 6138 however their reissue of the king seiko 44-9990 i actually very much liked um the the movement they use is polarizing because it's not terribly accurate yes. which i don't mind but a lot of people and i understand why you just kind of like a betrayal to the king seiko heritage as a you know a chronometer and they literally were meeting chronometer spec that the swiss set up and it's very there's been this rivalry between seiko and the swiss that has flown under the radar for a lot of people i think and literally you have these geneva observatory competitions once a year and seiko started entering them and one the swiss were turning up their nose and then seiko started winning yeah and they, and then the Swiss were like, you know what? We don't really want to do this anymore. We're, we're going to take our ball and go home. Yeah. And they, stopped, they stopped the competition. That's and right. They, they reinstituted them later. They were like, oh, you know, you have to be a European company to participate. And I was like, wow. wow that is crazy. Well, but I yeah, would like that's to, unbelievable. I would like to see them come out with, like, for instance, I don't know if you're familiar with the Grand Seiko 6146-8030. And this is like a very difficult to find watch it's like um it's a two-tone grand seiko it's like a gold dial with like it's like it's and you know this was done by hand the case is kind of like a hammered metal and the the dial itself has like this texture to it almost like a linen dial but more so wow and they're okay. crazy hard to find they're like i want to say they run eight to ten k if you can find one wow okay wow. okay Huge if. This is a um, high beat Grand Seiko, 6146-8040. And it, it's like the um the very the, the VFA, the very fine adjustment, VFA. six six. Like that line, they're they're yeah. approaching 10k. Very difficult to find a good example of. I would love to see a reissue of that based on what they did with the King Seiko. Maybe do some more research into what movement you want to put into it. But yeah. the, the aesthetics, the design. I thought was spot on. Like literally when I'm, cause we, I love the 44990. I actually own one that was given. And, you know, I, I talked about this beforehand, but you know, I was, I was lucky enough to get that profile Houdinki where they do the four plus one 
And my plus one was this Isuzu Trooper that I've owned since high school, since 1996. Wow. And I found a the a, a King Seiko 44990 that was gifted to an employee of the Isuzu Motor Corporation for 25 years of service. I've never found anything like this in the past. And like I like I said, you know, I live JDM watches. I have a, that great network of dealers in Japan. No one has ever surfaced one of these. And I just happened and lucked into it. Um, so it, it, I snapped it up. It's in my personal collection now. But like that design is, I think, pretty faithful to the original. And I would love to see more, more things like that with King Seiko, with Grand Seiko. That's awesome. Nick, of all your years of travel, and this is my last question. What is the craziest watch you've seen anyone wear that you 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 instantly noticed what it was and you know it, it blew you away that you actually ran into it? Oof, man, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> because like, and this is why I love Los Angeles because the the collector scene, the meetup scene is far bigger than it was in DC, and I I love that about Los Angeles. Yeah, there's opportunities to meet with people you know otherwise like there's a there's um God, i can't remember his instagram account I'm, I'm gonna find it right now actually but his thing is omega speed masters yeah and he i'm gonna oh, man i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna be so upset if i can't remember it because it's such a great account um but he he bought um uh, he bought an octavia from me so he obviously dabbles in vintage hoyer but his biggest thing is is vintage Omega Speedmasters and some of the stuff that he has that I've seen him post, but I've also seen you know in person at various get-togethers are just impressive. Like and he, again, like you talked earlier about Eric Wynn knowing his Omega Speedmaster professionals. Like some of them, you get in this weird esoteric stuff, like dropped R's in the Speedmaster. You know the dot over ninety on the bezel, the dot. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Super yeah. dorky stuff, and like I would, I'm getting to the point, like I want to get there. To the same level of Speedmaster that I have with like six one three nines, but I'm not there yet. But I'm I'm getting there, you know. And like, he just blew me away with some of his stuff. I can't even think of what like he has just so many, and I love it because he posts about it. But like, yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was some this super obscure reference, and I met him for lunch uh, when when he bought the Altavia because he's local, obviously in Los Angeles, and I immediately noticed what he's wearing. But like. This, this goes back to even like, and I already had this, but if you're a diplomat, you're a trained observer because yeah. that's how you, everything you need to know about the diplomat sitting across the table from you. And like, that's the first thing. And for men, especially because men don't have these, if you want to quote office space, they don't have too many pieces of flair as it were. <laughs> There's no flair. Yeah. <laughs> Your watch, you know, uh, is, is the suit tailored? What kind of shoes? What design? Is it a monk strap, double monk strap? Are they wearing a pocket square? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I freely admit when I was Department of State, I dressed to quote, as I was called there, as a foppish dandy. And I was fine with that. You know, this was meant as a compliment in British society in the 1700s. Right. Uh, tailored suit, pocket square, skinny tie, tie clip, you know, the, 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 um, the nice dress watch. It doesn't even have to be nice, just nice design because expensive watch does not always mean a good watch. Right, right, right. You know, um, but yeah, it's, I can't even remember what he was wearing at that day because this was like a year ago now. I just remember it just blew my mind when I saw it. And it was, I think it was one of those rare, like, it, oh God, it's going to kill me. You know, I'm going to hit him up after this and he's going to be like, know after. Yeah. like, you moron, this is what I was wearing. And he's <laughs> He's gonna be pissed at me. <laughs> it well, is what it is. Nick, it was awesome having you on the show. Uh, yes, thank you so oh, much. Yeah, this so was much. a great chat. And uh, sure. we got to have you on for that Moonswatch uh, tirade. Okay, so maybe uh, next week we got to have you for the Moonswatch tirade that you, you owe us. Maybe next week, you know. So yeah, maybe uh, the next Moonswatch release where they have like uh, uh, a gold already- bezel or something. I was already fulminating against that uh, online. And the thing is, look, I think it was brilliant what they did initially. Yeah. Oh, my God. And has it gotten more people into the into, you know, this passion of ours? Hell yes. And by that alone, go with God. I I, you have I, I give you, you know, the sign, you know, whatever. 
Um, but for you to milk it nonstop with just a slightly different, you know, chronograph seconds hand, like, come on, guys. It's like so you know, I agree. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> I think we're swiftly, if we haven't already approached that. And like every time one of these watch career articles covers like this new, the comment section is hilarious on Instagram. Yeah, it's lovingly uh, yeah. <laughs> not good. And it's like, I don't even, sometimes I just lurk and I'm just reading it. And and my wife hears me snickering and she's like, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> she just knows at this point it's going to be watch related. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Nick, if, if people want to get in touch with you to pick up a watch, to source a watch, how do they find you? Sure. Um, so the website is www.dcvintagewatches.com. And, uh, you know, the, we have a few uh, Instagram accounts. Um, we have the main one, which is at DC Vintage Watches. But we also have ones, and they go down to like geographic. Like we'll have one for uh, the DMV, which is uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Then we have another one for Los Angeles. And we actually started one recently. It's like DCVW underscore for, for underscore her that has kind of like, um uh an angle targeting women because i I would love to get more women into this into this yeah. um i think it's it's and i'm seeing a bit more which i love to see like and you know it's it's i i think it's something that we can all get into um so you know so there's that um those are the main ways like literally like you know we didn't talk about this much but you know about half of the business that we do is sourcing watches so you know if you if you're looking for a watch that you, you're unable to find, drop us an email. We'll see what we can do for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course. No, thank you for having me. This has been great. Lots of fun. Thank you.